Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Here we want to explore how we can be proactive in our health and get ourselves on that path toward optimal health. Our bodies have a remarkable skill of healing if we give it what it needs and the proper environment. Autoimmune diseases are increasing and many have them. What are autoimmune diseases? Why are they increasing? What do we do about it? It's a big problem, and many of us are have autoimmune disease, and many probably will get them in the future. Uh, any environment, diet, many different factors contribute to this. So there's many different things we can do to help mitigate this and prevent getting further autoimmune diseases. So today we're going to talk about this, and we're very honored to have Dr. Akil Palanisamy. I'll call him Akil for short. And he has written a book called The Tiger Pro Call. And it's an integrative five-step program to treat and heal autoimmunity. And also there'll be clues on how to avoid it so we can stay on the path toward optimal wellness. I mean, any disease, autoimmune disease, is caused by inflammation, increases inflammation. This gets to be a circular route. So this is a very important topic so we can be well. Uh, Akil is a Harvard-trained physician who practices integrative medicine. He blends conventional medical expertise with holistic approaches, including functional medicine and Ayurveda. He attended Harvard University and graduated magna cum laude with a Bachelor of Arts in Biochemical Science. He earned his MD degree from the University of California, San Francisco, and he completed family medicine residency training at Stanford University. He then graduated from a fellowship in integrative medicine with Dr. Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona, and he received certification in mind-body medicine from the Georgetown University Center. He's the department chair for the integrative medicine at the Sutter Health Institute for Health and Healing. He also serves as uh, the, the Institute for Health and Healing physician director for community education and leads their educational initiatives and programs. He's been a consultant with the Medical Board of California for many years. He's a widely known speaker and educator. He's the author of The Tiger Protocol. This is only his latest book. His previous book was The Palovedic Diet. And if you want to know about that, you can go into a previous broadcast we had. Um, you can just put in his name and that will pop up for our previous broadcast. He's got a complete, this is a complete program to burn fat, increase energy, and reverse disease, as he has done for two plus decades. He sees patients and conducts clinical research studies in the San Francisco Bay Area. In his free time, he enjoys playing tennis, traveling, and spending time with his wife and daughter. So welcome, Akil. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Down. It's my pleasure. Well, why don't you start with your story? I mean, I love your approach to medicine where you uh, combine Ayurveda with uh, Western medicine, with integrative medicine. And, I mean, Ayurveda has been around 
for centuries and it's got a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. to it. So you bring this to the functional medicine model. So that's very interesting. So what are the experiences that led you to combine these in your medical practice? Yes, uh, absolutely. So it actually was my own illness experience uh, during medical school that uh, led to that because uh, growing up, I didn't have any exposure to holistic therapies or Ayurveda. We were pretty much conventional medicine family. And uh, then during medical school, I developed this mystery illness with weight loss, uh, severe fatigue, joint pains, and I couldn't uh, sit up in a chair, and I had to actually stop my training and take a year off because the conventional treatments like physical therapy and anti-inflammatory drugs were not solving my issue. And so I went on this quest to heal myself, and through that uh, came across Ayurveda and uh, functional medicine and a lot of the things that um, I practice now that really transform my health. And um, it was at that time that I decided I wanted to learn all those approaches to bring that uh, approach to my future patients. So uh, does your, what was the disease, I mean, the label, or what was it that you were dealing with when you were going through this? Um, I think it was a variant of chronic fatigue uh, syndrome, and um, but um, you know, uh, of course, when you approach it from integrative medicine the, and Ayurveda, the diagnosis is very different. So, um, but in the end, yeah, everything was reversed. And what did you? How did you reverse it? Um, so it was through a, a big focus on my diet, actually, and. Um, yeah, changing, improving my diet, um, and then starting to incorporate uh, physical activity regularly. That was a a real game changer um, for me. And then also managing my stress better. I think I underestimated the role of stress in my condition. And uh, once I addressed that, that was uh, very helpful. All three of those are very important contributors to inflammation, which is underlying most mm-hmm. of the diseases we come across. A poor sleep, um, environmental toxins, and many other things contribute as well. So this is obviously going mm-hmm. to be a multi-pronged approach. So tell me, mm-hmm. what is integrative medicine? What's its philosophy? And how does that, well, our, I guess our conventional medical approach is a pill for an ill, disease management and symptom mm-hmm. management. But uh, so what is integrative medicine and how does it differ from what the average MD does? Yes. So integrative medicine integrates conventional medicine together with evidence-based uh, alternative and complementary practices. Um, and uh, it takes a very holistic approach in terms of its philosophy, looking not only at, you know, body and mind, but spirit, uh, community, uh, meaning, spirituality, you know, all those other factors. And um, I think you know, one of the main ways it differs from conventional medicine is by focusing on the root causes um, to really effect long-term healing. You know, you need to identify and then treat the root causes of disease. Uh, that's so important. Uh, and spirituality, community, even hugging, etc., mm-hmm. are very important for our health. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about yeah. the Tyler Protocol, your new book. Um, it focuses on autoimmune disease, but what what led you to write this book? 
Yeah, uh, it was um, kind of organically over the past 20 years, I started treating a lot of patients with autoimmune disease uh, with this, uh, what would become this approach. And then they started noticing improvement and referring their friends with autoimmune disease. So it just became kind of a specialty in my practice. And uh, I saw so much improvement in people from following these um, these five steps. And uh, uh, so the TIGER uh, word is an acronym, and that stands for the five root causes of inflammation that we address, which are toxins, infections, gut health, eating right, and resting and managing stress. So um, I found that my practice really uh, focused on these patients who were very hungry for um, diet and lifestyle and holistic uh, recommendations because they weren't getting that from their conventional doctors. Okay. Well, tell us. Um, uh, so, tell us more uh, specifics. Uh, go into a little more detail yeah. on parts of this. Oh, sure. Yes. So, starting with the T for toxins, um, the focus is twofold. One is to reduce exposure to toxins um, by um, improving your, uh, you know, diet, um, greening the cosmetics, uh, household chemicals, any kind of source of potential toxins. Um, and then also enhancing the detox capacity because the body has its own intrinsic detox ability. And if we just support that, that can be, um, you know, highly beneficial. Um, and then with the eye for infections, we focus on, on making toxins. the body... Let's stay, on oh, toxins. Yeah. Let's stay on toxins for the moment. Okay. Uh, how do sure. you... I mean, toxins are everywhere and probably things that people aren't aware of, and they're synergistic because mm -hmm. the government will tell you, well, yep. a little bit of this isn't going to hurt you, a little bit of that, but a little bit of this does, and these are synergistic. You add one plus one and you get three, you don't get two, and they're so insidious, we don't even realize what's going on. The glyphosate in our food, uh, that you know, opens up the blood-brain barrier, the gut barrier, the shikimate pathway. It prevents making tertiary amines such as, you know, serotonin and tryptophan. I mean, EMF is something we don't see and most of us aren't aware of, and that opens up the blood-brain barrier in the gut and interferes with intracellular communication. Everything we put on our face, it goes right into the body. So the toxins are everywhere. It's just a big toxic soup. So what are your specific recommendations on avoiding toxins? Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think the um, goal to keep in mind is that uh, we cannot live like a zero toxin life because that would be living in a bubble. You know, we have to be in the real world. And uh, um, as long as we accept that and then um, just try to reduce exposure, um, for example, filtering the drinking water um, is very important with either a reverse osmosis system or something comparable. Um, that will eliminate a number of the waterborne toxins. Choosing organic foods when available will help reduce pesticide exposure. Um, and then uh, greening those um, household chemicals and cleaners, the uh, skin products, cosmetics, uh, I kind of walk people through how to do all of that in the in detail. Yeah, even a couch and a mattress can have bromine mm, yeah. and chemicals that affect the thyroid. What about um, heavy metals? How do we avoid those? Oh, for sure. Yeah, so um, I review four heavy metals that have been associated with increased risk of autoimmunity, like uh, 
lead, mercury, arsenic, and cadmium. And uh, um, there's different recommendations for each. Uh, so, for example, with uh, arsenic, the um, conventionally grown chicken actually ha has a feed that incorporates arsenic. So, uh, that's one of the big sources of exposure for many people. Um, that's one example. Yeah, that fattens up the chickens, yeah. uh, and so right. they used to yeah. give it to them, fatten it up, and so it also ends up in our mm -hmm. water in our rice. So yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and uh, and then with mercury, it's mostly about avoiding large fish uh, like tuna and swordfish, and uh, focusing on um, small fish. So I think that, uh, yeah, there are simple strategies like that that can be helpful for each of the heavy metals. Yeah, and uh, even chocolate has some of these toxins, and mm -hmm. like lead has been found in lipstick yeah. and, you know, cookware, right. and, you know, this disrupts the heart and brain. So these are very mm -hmm. serious, yeah. and the heavy metals kind of like the mercury gets into the brain, and it's very hard to get out of. The lead goes to the bone. And starts coming out yep. when we go through menopause. So th these mm -hmm. are very serious, and they interfere with many bodily functions. So how do we yep. detox? Yes. So um, I think focusing on the basics is important, which is uh, hydration, making sure you're drinking enough water so your kidneys can filter the blood, um, elimination of bowel movements regularly, because the liver, which is one of the main detox organs, packages toxins into the bile, and then that goes into your stool and has to be excreted. So if you're not eliminating regularly, that actually hinders your detox um, pathways. And then um, I am a big fan of sweating because research shows that sweating in a sauna or steam room is very powerful and actually can excrete, um, you know, dozens of different toxins through the sweat. So I think that's underutilized as well. Uh, what about some of the naturopathic remedies, such as oil pulling or skin brushing? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, so that uh, touches on the lymphatic system, which is another important thing to address. So um, dry skin brushing is a great way to activate the lymphatics, which help detox. And oil pulling, yeah, is an Ayurvedic practice. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, and not only does it help with um, detox, it also is very good for your oral microbiome, you know, all the bacteria in the mouth that are very important. Now, I'd like to go back to a toxin that we didn't mention, BPA, which is in plastics. Mm -hmm. And there's so yep. many things that are BPA-free. We don't have to worry, but they've got mm -hmm. BPU, BPS, and other things that can be just as bad. So we have to be careful. Yeah. Just because it doesn't have BPA, it can have BPS. Mm -hmm. So yeah, exactly. And, there's just so many of these different toxins. Uh, what about foot baths? Um, what was that? I didn't hear you. Foot baths? Oh, foot baths. Um, yeah, you know, I think uh, potentially they may have a role to play. I do think we need more research to um, confirm that. And, uh, but I think we have very solid research on the benefits of sauna and sweating. So that is the main focus that I uh, recommend. What about chlorella? Yes, chlorella is a uh, type of algae that is very helpful for uh, for detox. So there are a number of supplements that are uh, beneficial. So one of the ones I recommend in the book is the glutathione, which is one of the main antioxidants that also helps the liver detoxify. So um, chlorella, chlorella is certainly helpful as well. And um, 
all the cruciferous vegetables are very beneficial for supporting liver function as well, like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what does the I stand for in the TIGER protocol? So I is for infections, and that it can include uh, bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites. And my goal here is a little bit different from conventional medicine, where we focus on identifying the germ and then the right drugs to kill that germ and so forth. But my focus here is more on the terrain, which is the inner environment of the body and uh, optimizing that to then make the body inhospitable to infections and allow the immune system to do what it's supposed to. Okay, so you talk about terrain. Uh, there are different terrains than like the lung, the gut, and the mouth, mm-hmm. are there? Yes. Okay, um, so uh, what about in the mouth? I mean, like um, people can have infections and cavitations that they're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, yeah, yeah. In my in my research, I found the oral microbiome is very relevant to autoimmunity because, uh, yeah, you're right. Many people have these uh, uh, hidden infections and hidden inflammation that they're not aware of. And the oral microbiome is second in size only to the gut microbiome. And uh, also, you know, just like the gut plays a role in regulating inflammation and the immune system. So oral health is very important. Yeah, I mean, some studies, I think, when they looked at sclerotic plaque and some of the arteries in the heart, that it was totally uh, uh, bacteria from the mouth. So, and there has Mm -hmm. been connection between... uh, gum disease and heart disease, but I mean, I don't know why mm-hmm. this is a surprise. They both have inflammation underlying it, so that this was a surprise exactly. to them, a surprise to me. But okay, right. <laughs> so, how can you tell if you've got these various infections? So um, there is testing available, um, you know, to uh, to look at the individual like viruses or bacteria or parasites. Uh, so that's an option if you're working with a practitioner, but if not, then I think uh, focusing on making the terrain of the body inhospitable is uh, something everybody can do. And how do they do that? Yeah, so uh, there's many ways. Uh, one of the strategies I talk about is optimizing the intestinal pH, which is a key uh, driver of the terrain in the gut. Um, So the pH, if it's not optimal, can allow the overgrowth of pathogens, uh, both bacteria and uh, yeast species like candida and uh, parasites. So a lot of these pathogens only can grow if the pH is suboptimal. And so um, optimizing the pH actually is a key factor in making the body inhospitable to infection. And how do you optimize the pH? So the pH there is mostly driven by short-chain fatty acids, which are made by the gut bacteria and uh, uh, by, you know, breaking down fiber. So basically, yeah, studies show that if you boost your variety and quantity of fiber, that consistently lowers the stool pH uh, within a few weeks. And uh, um, I think that's the, the most powerful strategy. Plus, I think fermented foods can help because they have beneficial acids um, like lactic acid that are also able to help optimize the pH. So fermented food, you mean like kefir and sauerkraut and kombucha? Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay.
Okay. And what kind of fiber do you recommend? So from foods, um, I think variety of vegetables, fruits, uh, legumes, if you tolerate them, uh, potentially whole grains, uh, nuts and seeds, spices. So having a really varied diet is important, uh, and those are some of the main ways to get more fiber. Okay. Um, All righty. Okay. So anything else you recommend for detox? Um, I think the, um, yeah, sweating is really something I emphasize and then making sure you're addressing the uh, kidney by drinking enough water and then addressing the intestinal component with the uh, regular bowel movements and then addressing the lymphatics with dry skin brushing. So those uh, strategies together are very powerful. Uh, If you bounce up and down on a vibrator or trampoline, does that help with the lymphatics as well? Yes, absolutely. That's a very healthy exercise and helps lymphatics. Okay. Um, What's the next step in your protocol? So then um, the G is for um, healing the gut, and this um, mostly pertains to the microbiome because that has such a big role to play in our immune system and um, multiple organ systems as well. So it's really focused on healing the gut and um, optimizing the microbiome. Uh, How do you know if your microbiome is not optimized and needs help? So um, commonly there can be uh, GI symptoms, if that's the case. So things like uh, gas, bloating, abdominal pain, heartburn constipation, loose stools. Um, So any of those can be an indicator of that um, potentially being there. And how do you heal the gut? Um, So I think that, um, you know, there are um, three key disruptions in the gut that are typically seen with autoimmune conditions. Uh, uh, So we have to tackle all three of them. The first is reduced diversity of the microbiome. Uh, That's one of the earliest signs. And the way to counteract that is boosting the number of different unique plant fibers because each plant fiber feeds a different bacteria, so that can boost the diversity. Um, Second is something called dysbiosis. So this is a condition where the beneficial bacteria decline in number, and there's an overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria or yeast and other um, microbes. And so addressing dysbiosis is really important, and uh, optimizing the pH is a great tool for that because uh, most of those microbes that are pathogenic can only grow if the pH is suboptimal. So that's what I recommend there. Um, And then finally, there's... uh, Increased intestinal permeability, which is also known as leaky gut, which has been linked to multiple autoimmune diseases, and that can be uh, addressed through incorporating bone broth, uh, fermented foods, sometimes supplements like glutamine or colostrum, um, all of those things. Uh, I understand it's very easy to get a leaky gut, like if we just drop, you know, yep. ride in an airplane ride or stressed mm-hmm. or just, you know, yep. or disastrous things can happen if we have a, you know, processed fatty foods, you know, things can go wrong for hours. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. how can we tell if we've got gut permeability or leaky gut? 
Um, yeah, so the, uh, there's not always a correlation with symptoms, um, but there are um, some tests like a zonulin level in the stool can be a clue. Uh, zonulin is one of the proteins involved in the gut barrier, and if it's elevated, uh, that can be an indicator. Um, certain companies also measure uh, LPS, lipopolysaccharide, which is a plasma blood test that, if elevated, can indicate intestinal permeability. So there's a number of um, tests like that that are available through integrated providers. For the audience, uh, um, the zonulin is uh, a substance in the gut that, you know, causes uh, tearing apart the tight junctions of the gut. So if they measure that, they've got to measure that there's something going on in the gut and we're likely to have a leaky gut. Mm -hmm. LPS is the outer shell of gram-negative bacteria, Mm -hmm. and these can easily pass through the Gut, the gut barrier and causes problems. So, and mm-hmm. you know, I think also there's a lactulose mannitol ratio. Yeah. Yeah. As one of them is large, oh. lactulose is large and mannitol is not. You can take this mm-hmm. drink and see what comes through. If the large ones come through, you've got lots of leakiness going on. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how a leaky gut, I think from my understanding that a leaky gut is uh, you know, a straight pathway to autoimmune disease. Can you describe this process? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, so with leaky gut, it's basically uh, increased permeability of the gut barrier, and things can get across into the bloodstream that are not supposed to, like uh, bad bacteria, uh, toxins, undigested food. And then all of those things, when they start showing up in the in the blood, your immune system gets very hyperactivated because it's not supposed to be seeing such a big number of antigens and proteins, and so starts making, you know, all types of antibodies. And uh, and then those toxins can travel to distant organs where they cause inflammation or tissue damage. So um, addressing leaky gut is, uh, is really fundamental because it's such a key part in autoimmune disease. A part of that is that when these uh, you get an undigested protein into the blood system, and as Akila said, they, uh, we develop, uh, you know, our body mobilizes, hey, this is foreign, we got to get this out of here, so we throw, you know, we mm-hmm. get antibodies against it. But what happens is there's something called molecular mimicry, where some of our genetic mm-hmm. makeup called SNPs is very similar. For example, I think gluten... Uh, will cross-react with the Purkinje cells in the cerebellum, which are balanced cells. So there's something called glutenotaxia that, you know, will wobble around, but you get rid of the gluten, it goes away. It also, I think, enter, you know, can, can get confused and attack the thyroid. That's why a lot of um, th- people with thyroid antibodies, they are likely to get another disease. And also it can attack the islet cells in the pancreas, which makes our insulin. So you can get all sorts Mm -hmm. of, you know, symptoms leading uh, perhaps to diabetes uh, 1.5 or called LATA, which I think you can measure by the, Mm -hmm. get an idea from the GAD65 antibodies. So we get these antibodies going around, uh, which are designed specifically for specific part of a protein that got in the blood and it'll go after parts of our own body that are very similar in genetic makeup. So this is a huge risk factor for autoimmune disease and could be one of the primary um, reasons that these autoimmune disease get started. So leaky gut is hugely important. 
Correct. Okay, so to fix the dysbiosis and the leaky gut, you're you're recommending bone broth, etc., fermented Mm -hmm. foods. Um, What what other things would you suggest? So um, I think that prebiotic foods are very important, and uh, those are um, prebiotics are fibers that feed your unique bacteria. So. Um, for example, there's resistant starch, uh, inulin, arabinoxylans, polyphenols, and then there are different foods that contain each of those. So in the book, I give dozens of examples of uh, each uh, prebiotic food, and the reason they're important is that if you, you can eat those specific foods, um, then your gut bacteria will produce those short-chain fatty acids, which are highly gut-healing and anti-inflammatory. Okay. Um, okay. So, okay. So, um, what supplements would you suggest to help with that? Yes. So, for gut, you know, there's many options. I think glutamine, which is an amino acid that is quite safe, um, has good research showing that it um, reverses increased intestinal permeability. And then colostrum, um, which is a dairy source, so it would not work for vegans, but if a person uh, can have colostrum, that also has uh, a lot of gut healing properties. Okay. And what is resistant starch? Is that like potato salad or is there several kinds of resistant starch? Yeah. There's actually three types of resistant starch. Um, So... The uh, potato salad, like cooked and chilled potatoes, are uh, type 3 or retrograde starch. So uh, cooking and chilling rice or potatoes is um, some way, a way to get that. And then type 1 is found in certain whole grains like uh, oats and uh, barley and quinoa and so forth. They're considered uh, um, a part of the, the whole grains. And then the type 2 resistant starch is the, um, it includes things like green banana, plantain, uh, you know, those kind of like things that uh, um, as long as the banana is not too ripe, if it's somewhat green, that will have um, a lot of resistant starch. Now, I've, when I've spoken to some experts, such as James Lavelle, for the situation mm-hmm. where people are hypersensitive to fragrances, one of the things he suggested yep. was resistant starch, and other people have recommended low-dose naloxone. No, so um, oh, yeah. what do you know about if you're hypersensitive to fragrances? Oh, um, yes, I think those two things are important. Um, And then also, it's often a sign that a person is very toxic because their liver is overloaded and um, it's not able to break down, you know, environmental triggers, fragrances, or other environmental allergens very well. So I do think detoxification is important as well. One of the interesting things about this hypersensitivity is the people I've talked to, it occurred after they got rid of all the toxins in their home. And the way mm-hmm. Dr. Lavelle and others explained it to me is that your receptors are all clogged up with all this junk in your home before you clean it out, all the toxic cleaning and the, the bromide mm-hmm. in your couch and the stink people mm-hmm. put on and the fragrances and even the uh, things that remove the fragrances, that when you get those out of your house, you don't have them on receptors, mm-hmm. you get hypersensitive, which, uh, so the first part of detoxing is getting rid of this, but I guess to get rid of it further is a lot long way to go. 
because I notice right. people are getting very sensitive to perfumes and various fragrances, which are very toxic, by the way. Yes, absolutely. So, okay. You also, in your book, uh, suggested curcumin, which is a great antioxidant mm-hmm. and helps in many different yep. ways. Probiotics. Mm-hmm. What strain of probiotics mm-hmm. did you, do you recommend, or does it depend on the situation? Um, it depends on the situation, but um, a couple of strains I could mention that have good research behind them. Um, one is the Saccharomyces boulardii. Uh, that's a beneficial yeast that has been used for almost 100 years, a good research about the gut healing effects and um, anti-inflammatory properties. And then the other one is uh, Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, which is um, sold in certain uh, well-known brands like Culturel. Um, that also has a substantial amount of research uh, behind it. What about probiotics, spore probiotics? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, that's one of the newer categories of probiotics, which are exciting in terms of the research uh, that they have and uh, Clinically, we find um, patients do really well with those, um, uh, especially if they're dealing with loose stools or, you know, leaky gut, anything like that. Okay. Uh, what is a, is there a leaky mouth syndrome? Uh, there is, yeah. So just like there's a leaky gut and leaky brain, there's also a leaky mouth where there's increased permeability through the mouth um, and uh, you know, bacteria can get direct access to your bloodstream that way if there's, uh, for example, gum disease or other um, issues like that. And so that also triggers um, inflammation and immune activation, just like a leaky gut does. Yeah, and some of the suggestions you did, you made in your book was to prevent dry mouth because saliva is very important enzymes, mm-hmm. to breathe correctly, and green tea yeah. and oil pulling and even tongue scraping you recommended. Yes, exactly. Yeah, those are all powerful. And uh, with the green tea, if you swish it around your mouth uh, before swallowing, that will be, uh, help the, all of those bacteria in the oral microbiome. Yeah, and the green tea says great antioxidant with cardiovascular benefits, got polyphenols, mm-hmm. improves heart disease yeah. and diabetes risk. Uh, it just does a lot of good things. Okay, so... Oh, yeah. um, so uh, moving on to the E in the TIGER protocol, what, what do we have there? Um, yeah, so in terms of eating, I break it down into the uh, phase one and the phase two diet. The phase one diet is more of an elimination diet where you're uh, eliminating a fair number of foods. And then the phase two diet is where you reintroduce all of them. So uh, I have an eight-week detailed um, plan for reintroductions in the book and then the phase two diet ultimately is the long-term diet and I think uh, getting as much diversity as you can tolerate is really um, perhaps the most important uh, factor because that will drive up the microbiome diversity which is uh, a key uh, necessity for longevity and you know long-term health. On the elimination phase what do you eliminate? Obviously, it depends on the person and how severe their situation is, but what would you do in an average elimination Um, diet? Yeah, so we recommend, uh, you know, avoiding gluten, dairy, eggs, and soy, and then also um, nightshades because even though 
Um, they're not an issue for some people, for others they might be. And then, you know, further elimination based on the uh, individual. But um, starting with those plus the big ones, alcohol and caffeine, those are um, really key as well. So, um, yeah, having plenty of uh, fruits and vegetables, um, healthy um, fats and uh, um all, and good sources of protein like grass-fed beef or pasture-raised chicken or fish, you know, all of those things are, are healthy in the elimination phase. What is a nightshade? You mentioned that. Yeah. What is a nightshade? Yeah, a nightshade refers to a, a group of vegetables uh, that includes potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, and peppers. And uh, um, those nightshades are part of a family that um, for certain people, they can trigger inflammation. It's a minority, you know, small subset of people, but the only way to tell is to do that elimination followed by reintroduction. And then if you notice worse symptoms when you reintroduce, like, for example, a potato or tomato, then I, I recommend keeping those out of the diet. And what kind of oils do you recommend? So olive oil is really the big one. I think um, it's kind of a, a myth that you can't cook with olive oil because uh, research shows that it's actually very heat stable and uh, can be used just fine for cooking for long periods. So that's our primary oil. Um, and then we do use some coconut oil when we're doing like really high heat stuff, but um, olive oil and coconut oil are the two, the two big ones that I use. Uh, I mean, and for non-vegetarians, butter? Oh yes, Yeah, certainly butter and also ghee, which is a clarified butter is uh uh, excellent uh, as well. I want to make a point that vegetable seed oils that we've been told are wonderful are very damaging. They're highly processed, they're rancid, and if that stuff gets into our cell walls, our cells won't be working any longer. So corn oil, um, rapeseed oil, which canola oil, any kind of vegetable seed oil are very bad for us. They get into our cell walls and our cells stop working. Those are extremely bad for health, you know, on any phase of the diet. And sugar is not so good for our diet either. I mean, for example, it uses so much magnesium to detox it that it will be depleted of magnesium and each sugar hits, uh, you know, will affect your blood sugar and lead potentially mm. the insulin resistance and each sugar spike or, uh, or dip can affect the brain. So uh, generally sugar, mm -hmm. vegetable oils and processed foods are things we should not deal with. And when can we, how long should we be on the elimination diet and when can we reintroduce foods and do we do, we introduce one at a time? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I recommend at least uh, two months on the elimination diet and then reintroduce uh, one food at a time every three days or so. Um, and then um, people usually need a lot of guidance on that. So I have an eight-week program for what to reintroduce in which week and the sequence of everything. And is there any way to tell uh, if we're sensitive to food? Because my understanding is it can show up in many different ways. I mean, uh, sometimes yeah. it's immediate. Maybe the heart rate will increase or the blood pressure. Sometimes it might take a couple of days, which is why you recommend three mm -hmm. days. So what do we look for to see if we're sensitive to food? Uh, yes. So this uh, is helped by keeping a food journal because it's hard to, like, remember everything just in your head. Um, and you can, you know, document that on your phone um, if that's convenient. So basically you're looking for any type of uh, 
either GI-related uh, symptom or uh, systemic can, uh, symptoms like uh, fatigue, brain fog, aches and pains, um, digestive changes, um, skin rashes. You know, those are just some examples. Okay. Now, also, you're recommending chicory and dandelion root as a possible coffee substitute. You mm -hmm. thought architects are good, and garlic and onions mm -hmm. as a source of sulfur and leeks are good. You recommend jicama, taro root, asparagus, and as you said, slightly mm -hmm. green bananas. So, okay. Mm. Uh, so, okay, the R part of the protocol. Yes, and R refers to uh, rest, which includes uh, getting enough sleep and also managing your stress. Um, so I think um, having, uh, figuring out what works, you know, every person's different and uh, meditation isn't for everyone, but finding a practice that you like, that you can do regularly for um, rest and managing stress, I think is really crucial. Okay. Yeah, a rest is very important. It's uh, if you we don't rest well, uh, you know, it increases inflammation. It's a you know risk for cardiovascular disease and any disease imaginable. Even uh, depression and suicidal ideation, it can be a contributing factor. So it's extremely important. Uh, what about foods such as mushrooms or apples or apple cider vinegar? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, apple cider vinegar is very beneficial in terms of, um, um, you know, helping optimize the pH in the GI tract, and it can help a little bit with your metabolism as well, um, and for digestive health, you know, helping stimulate healthy levels of acid uh, production. Um, and then mushrooms, yeah, I'm a big fan of mushrooms because they are a whole uh, kingdom of life that's different from plants and animals. And um, by virtue of that, they have unique compounds like uh, chitin and chitosan that are really not found in any other foods, and they each feed uh, unique bacteria. So great way to boost the diversity in, in the microbiome with mushrooms of all types. For apple cider vinegar, can we substitute lemons, or what does baking soda help? Can you? Uh, you could, yeah. I think uh, lemon juice is probably the closest in terms of uh, helping, you know, with some of the acidity. Um, but um, yeah, I think baking soda also has a lot of research on uh, anti-inflammatory benefits and. Uh, helping with the um, even the kidney function. A um, lot of benefits for baking soda. Okay, so can this protocol help uh, prevent um, autoimmune disease? Yes, absolutely, because um, we know that with autoimmune disease, it is a slow process that uh, can occur slowly over 20, 30 years even. And uh, so if you catch it early, uh, then it's possible to usually prevent it from developing. Um, and uh, yeah, the same drivers of autoimmune disease, these five factors in the TRIGER protocol um, are uh, can be used to prevent autoimmune disease um, and also to help heal it if a person has already been diagnosed. Don't we start getting the antibodies uh, years or maybe decades before we we notice the symptoms of an autoimmune disease? And uh, are there ways mm -hmm. to measure those? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, in some cases, for example, with rheumatoid arthritis, the um, antibodies became evident about, um, on average, 12 years before the uh, disease was diagnosed. And uh, and those are blood tests that can be ordered through your doctor. Um, and um, another example, there's a autoimmune liver disease where the antibodies were detected 25 years before the disease came. So really highlights just that the sl- it's a slow process and uh, prevention is, is really possible. So, yeah, and I think one of the labs uh, is Cyrus Labs. Uh, they, and wasn't there yeah. another one, KBSO or, no, no, maybe not. But Cyrus Lab can measure these antibodies. So, I mean, these can be right. 20 years in the making, mm-hmm. so we can get a warning. Yeah. And then uh, if, you know, and then, okay, so let's see. Mm-hmm. So what's the Western medical approach to autoimmune diseases? So it's very symptom focused, and uh, that you know that can be beneficial and even life saving if because autoimmune diseases can um, cause a great deal of inflammation and you know really be uh, disruptive to quality of life. So the Western approach is really um, suppressing the immune system with strong drugs, either steroids or um, oral or or IV injected medications that. Uh, uh, weaken the immune system and suppress the immune system globally, but that has the effect of reducing autoimmune activity. But then it also weakens immunity and you know makes one more prone to serious infections and um, any type of uh, cold and, and flu. So those are some of the um, downsides of the, the Western medicines that are used. Um, there's definitely a role for them, um, but I think what is missing in Western medicine is really looking for the root causes. Um, after the acute flare-up is calmed, then there's not much discussion of how to stay healthy, how to maintain remission, how to address some of the drivers of disease. Don't steroids have serious side effects? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a long list, but um, I have seen patients that have, um, you know, um, elevated blood sugar, um, certain bone damage, which is permanent, um, of course, can affect uh, uh, fluid retention, causing uh, physical appearances to change. So a lot of things can with long term use. Also, mood disorders, depression, bipolar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a yeah. whole lot of things that being on steroids is, uh, you yeah. know, has some uh, downside to it. And if one comes off of them, they've got mm-hmm. to taper off of them. So what yeah. are the top foods and lifestyle recommendations you make for your patients uh, for autoimmune disease or just general health? Uh, yes. So in terms of the foods, um, I think that uh, bone broth is uh, is really up there because it has gelatin and glycine uh, that are very good for healing the gut. If a person does not want to do bone broth, they can do collagen powder, like grass-fed collagen powder or gelatin powder. Both are um, equally effective. And then the two categories of foods that I really like for patients with autoimmune disease are the fermented foods uh, because there was a study from Stanford showing that adding fermented foods to the diet reduced markers of inflammation and actually improved 19 markers of immune function in adults. Um, so adding fermented foods of all types is really helpful that way. And then finally, the prebiotic foods, which are less well-known but perhaps more powerful 
because they help feed those um, microbiome bacteria, and that includes uh, knowing which foods are high in resistant starch, polyphenols, uh, inulin, and you know the other uh, prebiotics that I outline in the book. Yeah, those are very important. Okay. So is yogurt uh, count as a fermented food? Uh, yes, if a person tolerates um, dairy, they can have yogurt. That's not a problem. Uh, if they're sensitive to dairy, there are a variety of non-dairy yogurts, which have been tested to still have live cultures, and uh, those are effective too. And fermented cod liver oils got many benefits as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Not only is it a fermented food, but it's very high in vitamin A, uh, good for the immune system, has plenty of vitamin D, and it has those omega-3 fats, which are anti-inflammatory. Okay. Uh, what about, uh, what other lifestyle changes would you recommend? So I think um, getting enough sleep is really uh, underemphasized. So I, I really encourage people to um, get at least eight hours of sleep on most nights. And then in terms of lifestyle, I think the physical activity can be a real game changer, incorporating cardiovascular exercise together with resistance training. Uh, that's the combination I recommend for most people. Um, and, uh, and then incorporating some type of mind-body practice that you enjoy, you know, that you can do regularly. Now, one thing you mentioned in your book is cold exposure, because there's a lot of people that, you know, mm -hmm. they get into some very cold refrigerator or something for a couple of minutes, and you get a hormetic, uh, you know, you challenge your body with something, and it, if you just get a little bit of it, you get a positive response. And so mm -hmm. uh, tell me about cold exposure. Oh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> there's interesting research that cold exposure helps with uh, boosting the immune system and also uh, reducing inflammation. And it basically works through the mechanism of hormesis, where a stressor, in this case the cold, triggers the body to come back more resilient and stronger. Um, and that's the, the mechanism behind uh, cold exposure. And it, so, I mean, well, can you just can get in a cold bath or turn your heat oh, yeah. down? And Absolutely. so, going around in a cold house might help. Uh, yes, in fact, um, you know, one study uh, had people at the end of a regular shower just uh, have cold water for 90 seconds, and that seems to be the minimum effective dose. So if you do 90 seconds of cold water at the end of your regular shower, that seems to be beneficial. So that's why you see pictures of these people in the polar bear club jumping into the right. ice cream water. <laughs> God, it looks right. Horrible. Exactly. Yes. Yes. What about intermittent fasting? Yes, very exciting. Um, really great anti-inflammatory, and there's uh, research showing that intermittent fasting helps in a few autoimmune diseases like a multiple sclerosis and psoriasis and also rheumatoid arthritis. So I think it's beneficial for most autoimmune conditions. What about light therapy? Uh, yes, that can be very powerful, um, especially if a person is dealing with muscle aches, joint pains, um, uh, back pain, and, and so forth. The uh, red light therapy is a great way to bring down pain, bring down inflammation, and speed up also the healing processes in the body. 
Now, we're getting short on time here, but he did mention his book, if, if there are approaches and it's not getting better quickly enough, things to consider would be SIBO, which is, you know, fermented, you know, mm-hmm. in the small intestines, balancing hormones, mm-hmm. consider Lyme disease, consider mold, do a microbiome test, and consider a traditional mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, Ayurveda. He also recommended right. testing vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, vitamin K1, and keep moving mm-hmm. and possibly doing resistant training. But we've got about two and a half minutes left. So what would your final mm-hmm. words be and how do people get a hold of you? Um, Yeah, so I think um, finally I just want to emphasize the role of stress because it's clear in the literature that it's a driver for flare-ups and exacerbations and also the initial development of autoimmune disease. And for every disease, disease, including psychiatric diseases, depression, everything. Okay, Uh, and you were saying... Yeah, and to um, address it also in the literature, there are many successful modalities that are um, possible. So it doesn't have to be meditation. It could be gratitude practices. It could be prayer or journaling, counseling, psychotherapy, forgiveness practices. Um, There's a lot of different tools. So I encourage people to find um, something that they can enjoy, you know, so that they will do it regularly. Okay. And how would people get a hold of you if they want to? Yeah. So the best way is uh, through uh, my website, which is thetigerprotocol.com. So if you go to thetigerprotocol.com, you'll find information about, you know, all my books and also um, my, you know, blog and online courses and all those things. Again, his book is called The Tiger Protocol, and I found many fascinating nuggets, little pieces of information that adds to, you know, the whole process of getting better. So, okay, this is an excellent book, folks. It's got a lot of gems in it, and it certainly goes a long way so we can help on our paths to optimal wellness. Uh, It's not wellness according to the lab values and the doctor's office because they're based on 95% of the population who are generally very sick. But this is an excellent book that will give us a lot of tidbits, a lot of practical advice so we can get better. So share this information, uh, discuss it with your doctor, and use it for your health. And above all, be well. you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.